Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. And to call here with you, as always, in the company of Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers. Alan, hello. Hello. Hi, Andy. Hi, James. And James is with us, as always, as well. Hi, James. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see us too. And I said last week that I was hoping for two wins against Hearts, and that's exactly what Celtic got. So I'm a happy camper this week in terms of what we're going to be looking at in the huddle breakdown. That's going to be later later on. We're going to be touching on the two Hearts games in brief at the end of the podcast. But we wanted to concentrate on something a little bit more important, and that is 100 games of Ange Postacoglu at Celtic because he surpassed the marker. I know a lot of people said he would be gone by Christmas, and and now he's here for over 100 games. So that's pretty good going for a guy who's going to be sacked before uh, the first Christmas period in charge of Celtic. I have a few basic stats here for his time in charge. 74 wins out of 100. So if you look at the uh, overall manager's win percentage rate, he is second only to Martin O'Neill. But again, there's context to everything. Jockstein is fourth in that. And you're not going to say that Jockstein <laughs> is the fourth best Celtic manager of all time. So 74 four wins out of 100 is pretty good going. Uh, one three seven goals, uh, 55 against in his first season, one one six and 38 against this season. So that makes for a total of 253 goals scored and 93 goals conceded altogether. So less than one goal per game over a stretch of 100 games is pretty good going as a, as a team as a whole, even in a league where you're only really being challenged fully by one team. I still think that's pretty impressive. So I guess we'll we'll start very briefly, uh, James. Ajpasakoglu, he's had quite an impact at Celtic over the last 100 games. Yeah, it's it's been remarkable. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've actually been on the, the outer edges of trying to overcredit him even more. I mean, I, I think he doesn't get enough credit as insane as that might be um, because of how ever present he is and, and really just the, um, the, the massive impact in player recruitment again, above and beyond all the discussions we've had about the long-term backdrop, but just looking at this two season period effectively, um, it really is remarkable. And, you know, I, I just, you know, Alan's got all his uh, fancy data with all the painstaking uh, labor of love that he commits to. I'm far lazier, so I look at limited data because of that. And I just, you know, the easiest one for me to look at is the league stuff. And um, I mean, the goal difference—it's 66 league games. He's he's got 140 goal difference over that time period. It's basically two goals a game. Um, that's just—it's crazy. Um, and we've talked about this repeatedly. It's, it's as much as, you know, the reputation of Ange ball coming in, uh, and even early on was about attack, 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 the, the, the ability to just squash the opposition, um, and limit their chances has been truly remarkable. And the, the last thing I'll say, um, is in this part is I, I don't think he gets enough credit for relative to the changes he has made. I mean, they're, they're in, in some ways nuanced and on the margin, um, but he has changed things, in, I would argue, in a productive way, tweaked things a lot along the way as far as how players are utilized, the roles within the system, system tweaks, and it's tweaking. It's not anything you know major that's being done. It's all being done within his principles and style of play. Um, but I think Joe Hart's been the poster child of that um, in putting him in a position that, you know, highlights his strengths 
tries to pull back from his weaknesses and makes him, you know, um, perform at a level that would be better otherwise than if he was being asked to do things that, that don't make sense for him. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, I put him, uh, w- w- way up there in, in, from a skill perspective. Um, and I actually think he, he probably doesn't get as much credit, which is, like I said, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alan, it's, it's pretty hard to contextualize Ange Postacoglu's reign at Celtic so far, because it seems like it's a decade long thing in the making, but it's been stretched over just about two years now. And he's had such a major impact. I will say that most managers in the world would have loved to be in the position that Ange was in, in the sense that he came in and he was essentially given full reign. But I don't think there's many managers in the world that I have seen um, that have taken advantage of that in such a strong way and been so productive with that because you know, he could have come in and brought in five players and then, you know, that might have been enough to win the league. But he has come in and completely reformed Celtic as a club and what they were doing and progressed it, as James has said. Yeah, so, so listen, I think, you know, critics and those with a, a, an agenda will point to, well, of course, he's been successful. He's had this money to spend and they're a dominant club and all that sort of thing. And, and, and we have to always remember there is some truth to that context for sure. Okay, and I don't. I think hopefully on this show we never kind of shy away from being honest about that. But what is remarkable, though, is just think about it from a perspective of of an organisation, um, and it was an organisation where previously there was there was one overwhelmingly dominant personality, and that was Peter Lowell. So you know he left his role as chief executive officer, and and therefore, you know. That's the environment into which Postacoglu strode. He didn't bring any of his friends or buddies with him. He walked in on his own and he got the organisation to buy into a plan and a direction that was very clear. Uh, and, and, and although you rightly say he was given a lot of authority, I think one of his strengths is he's never overstepped that or taken advantage of that in any way. And what I mean by that is He's never grumbled about having more or more money or needing more money. He's worked within the parameters he's been given and he's delivered consistently to those parameters. So he's been a good citizen as far as keeping his end of the bargain up without rocking the boat as far as the rest of the organisation is concerned. Now, we can only speculate if he was reporting to Lowell how difficult that would be <laughs> to manage going forward. Uh, obviously, it's pure speculation now. But he, whatever has happened, he seems to have formed a very effective relationship with Michael Nicholson, whereby, you know, as I say, he's been able to have a lot of authority in sorting out the football department without overstretching, having to overstretch his, his boundaries. So I think culturally, the way that he's been able to sell his vision to the organisation and to take the organisation forward consistently uh, to that vision is, is the most remarkable. And that's not... To do with that has nothing to do with money or the size of Celtic Football Club. That's just a very difficult thing to do as a senior manager in any organisation. So that, to me, is a, is a remarkable achievement in and of itself, and nothing to do with being able to spend lots of money on footballers. And then, secondly, is the sort of singularity of the vision in terms of how the football department should operate and how Celtic should play football. And, and what has been the sort of second most remarkable thing for me has been the the consistent quality of the recruitment. Uh, there's been very few um, misses. And I, I, I've worked on the basis when I look at Celtic managers throughout, is that if you're if you're batting, to use, to use borrow some of James's parlance, but if you're batting above 50%, to use the baseball analogy, then you're doing pretty well. And I would, I would without crunching the numbers or going back and looking, I'm guessing that Ange is batting above 75% easily in that sense, in terms of, you know, hits, hits to misses on the transfer front. Um, so that those those two things, I think, and we can dive into those a bit deeper, but yeah, the, the ability, to, three things really, the ability to, to integrate and to change and to, to drive forward the culture of the organisation, the ability to implement a very specific way of playing football and the ability to recruit to support that to, to a very high level of success are the three to me, most remarkable aspects of his of his reign. 
Yeah, I think the transfer <clears throat> situation would be the best way to bat away the criticism of or the point that he was successful because Celtic have the most money. Because if you look at the transfers before he came in, um, I was just looking at a couple of previous season, previous seasons before he came, two million on Sved, three million on Balangoli, four million on um, Albina Jetty, five million on Vasilis Barakas. None of those players are at the club and none of those players had any impact. Whereas Ange has spent money very well. And that's the difference. You can have money, but you can spend it on Balangoli or Barkas or Sved, or you can go into markets that Ange knew very well and you can come out with a Kyogo, a, a Tate, a, you know, um, all these players that were unknown to everybody before they came to Celtic and build a squad like Ange. I think there was 14 signings in the first season, as far as I know. And I'm not sure if that's counting January or if I'm excluding January in that. But it was a complete rebuild and a complete new squad that he built in his vision, if you like. But that's what's impressed me most, is that how quickly he's managed to bring all these personalities from all different ranges of the world and in different stages of their career and built a squad that was capable of winning the league after the mess that they had uh, the year previous. So, I mean, it goes without saying that winning trophies is what you're expected at Celtic, and he has done that. So we we would be in a completely different position here if Ange had done all these things and hadn't won the league last year, hadn't won the League Cup last year, hadn't kicked on from that and been top of the table this year. I think that's that's the key point is that success is what is expected of Celtic and Ange has never shied away from that. So that's uh, my early contextualization of the 100 games under Ange. We might dive into a little bit more um, sort of statistical stuff and the difference in Celtic before and after uh, Ange, if you just want to kick that off. Um, what, sorry, Denda, I guess... Denda, sorry to interrupt. Can I just touch back on the transfer dealings piece? So this isn't, it's because only because this keeps coming up and it's something that's constantly thrown about online by journalists and fans of other clubs is the amount of money spent. Um, and of course, it's a lot of money by by the standards of any other club, but people always miss the context, and it's really important, is that in that first season when Ange came in, um, over that season, now, listen, I know that, you know, I know how transfer fees work. They're not all paid up front. They're, and, you know, the values are amortised over the length of the contract. There's all sorts of other fees and so forth that go into it. It's not one number, but, you know, like for like, if we go with, you know, transfer fees paid on a like for like basis, in that first season, Celtic brought in £20 million more than they spent on transfers because because there was a shortfall post-COVID. You know, there were operating costs. There was money that Celtic had lost in that, as, as, as all clubs did. And, and obviously we hadn't been in the Champions League, so our operating costs uh, had to be uh, offset. So we brought in a lot of money, and, and, and players wanted to leave. So there were, and there was a market for them. Um, and also, Celtic. This, this doesn't really get talked about um, a lot, but Celtic have got to prepare for for FSR and for, for UEFA financial sustainability. Celtic have to get to a position where seventy percent of our wages are consistently. Um, can be attributable to you know to revenue. So for all those reasons, this hasn't been like an open checkbook. He's had to he's had to he's had to spend to get generate the funds to to, to rebuild the squad. And I don't, I'm going to labour that, but at least it's on record now again. You know that has that is the background. So yes, he has net spent money this season, but it's nothing like the 20 million that was net brought into the club. Uh, you know the season before. You know the, the net spend. Uh, this season is is more like about twelve million. So he's he's, he's net net brought in around eight million more than what he spent to undertake this this rebuild, uh, and, that, and that's why it's been and that's sustainable. That's why it's been achievable. Yeah, and that, that that's an important note to make as well because I understand why clubs in Scotland think that Celtic have done this because they're richest, they're the richest club, but there's a lack of understanding of why Celtic are the richest club. Firstly, it's built, it's built on a foundation of success throughout the years. And then it's also built on good business in the last 20 years. That's essentially why Celtic are where they are. That's why they're even dominant financially compared to the, the second biggest club in Scotland. It's a foundation of 
good groundwork that's been put in. It's not just, oh, we looked upon a Qatari owner. That That's just, that's not how Celtic operates. So that is an important note to make at the start of the podcast when we're talking about that. But uh, we'll move on to the, the actual on the field stuff. James, this is probably a difficult uh, question to answer, but in terms of where we were and where we are, what's been your most the thing that you've been most interested in what Celtic have done on the pitch or the thing that's impressed you the most um, or where you think we've probably improved the most over the last 100 games? Um, the term I'll use both on and off the pitch is coherent. And that was one of my big criticisms, um, you know, as we transitioned from um, the Rogers era to the Lennon second chapter um, was increasing incoherence. Um, and, and this is where I've, I've, I've said this repeatedly. I'm, I'm kind of on, on the edge of, of uh, how much I attribute to the recruitment part of it. Um, I think that the degree of coherence and, and the, the thing that Ange did benefit from, it wasn't financial resources, as Alan rightly put out. It was the flexibility of turnover, meaning that what, because he was able to revamp the squad and to shape it in his image, you had more coherence. Right. So there's there's a certain degree, I would argue, of um, use the word efficiency that that comes up because he's he's been able to plug in pieces of the puzzle that are coherent relative to what he wants to do. And as I said in my opening uh, comments, where they have maybe been a little misshapen, he hasn't tried to ram them in there anyway. Right. He's tweaked things a little bit on the edges in order to, you know, again, keep this coherence of system and plan. And when when you have the resources that we have, you have a, a clearly really smart guy that that's not. Um, I and again, I give him credit. I think he's been more uh, intellectually flexible than than maybe you know uh, some people would argue, including myself at points. Um, so I, I, I give him credit in that regard. Is um, being able to make the system so resilient because of this coherence that, that domestically it's like, it's like an unstoppable force to a degree. Um, And I, and I think that that's what uh, the cup final and the aftermath may have (laughs) reflected is the uh, you know, the, the human acceptance, the the fear migration and panic (laughs) that sets in when, as people, you know, go through the five stages of grief, so to speak. Um, because it, it really is just, uh, uh, again, we couch this within the context of domestic, right? We've talked about this, this duality of how this transfers into Europe potentially. Um, but it, it's just so coherent and well thought out and smart. And again, to a degree, you know, to, to, so that we don't go completely, uh, orgy level here is we, we benefited from a lot of that when Rogers walk in the door. Right. And we were in, we were on a path of coherence there that I think was interrupted by, again, to Angie's credit and the Nicholson's credit. We, we hit that summer of 1819 when uh, Roger's ambition and his coherence and his vision met head on with uh, Mr. Lawwell. <laughs> uh, and then we had the aftermath of the McGinn and Castagna you know, I say, think about what the eighteen nineteen season would have looked like if we were playing with Edward and Dembele up front, Castagna out wide as one wing back, uh, Tierney on the left, right? I mean, we McGinn in the middle of the park, right? What, what would that team have looked like? I mean, that would have been pretty special, I think. Um, and we were heading in that direction until that relationship deteriorated and fell apart and Right. So I, I don't want to go too overboard with the Ange cult um, because I think, you know, in a different way, Rogers is a smart guy and a good and a quality manager. Um, but you still have to do it. And, and I think that it's a ma- question of the attribution. And I think, mm-hmm. um, again, the amount of money that Ange has spent even on payroll you know, wage bills now is different than even four or five years ago, based off of how much inflation there's been in the game. So you could argue even he's been working on less, even though nominally it's similar to what Rogers had. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, I, I, I continue to be impressed with um, really how smart he is 
I mean, and that's the refreshing part. And that's why mm-hmm. I said what, what we really need is an Ange running the club long-term. <laughs> uh, you need somebody that smart, you know, driving the strategic vision and, um, you know, driving the car long-term and, and, you know, that's yet to be seen, but yeah, right now it's, it's that, that's the big thing. It's just, it's a joy to have someone really, really smart at the control. Mm. And I think the, the point I would make on the Brendan Rogers, I completely agree with you in the aspect that he sort of laid a foundation of professionalism within some of the players that uh, were at the club and even the way that we were progressing. And then he came out with the loggerheads. The, the counterpoint I would make is that I feel like Ange is a bigger p- personality and that's the reason he was able to take that step forward with the club. I know, you know, Peter Lawwell's not involved with the club as much, but he, he kind of is in every aspect except for his title by the, by the signs of what's going on. Um, and I, this isn't going to be a full blowing smoke up and just ass podcast, but I do think it's important to point out where we came from and where, where we're going under it. The thing that I've been most impressed with Alan is I think this is the first time. And even I think it, maybe this is confirmation bias from my perspective, but if you look at Rogers struggles now, I think he's sort of two to three years behind the curve and what's been happening in football in terms of the tactics and what's what a fullback is supposed to be, what the midfield is supposed to be, how you're supposed to be using your forward line. And I feel like this is the most modern Celtic team that I've watched tactically, I think, in my lifetime when it comes to being at the forefront of what's happening in football. I think it's like when you look at what Celtic are doing, they were doing what the leaders of the Premier League are doing with their players before them almost or at the same time it wasn't a, you know the Premier League winners did this then suddenly Celtic are playing it three years ago Ange Postacoglu was playing inver- inverted forwards at the same time as Arteta was or inverted fullback sorry at the same time as Arteta was in the Premier League I think this is modern why in modernity wise this is the most modern team that I've seen Celtic play tactically mm. It's interesting when I was um, on the Axon pod last week and before I was on, uh, uh, Paul John was interviewing uh, wee Joe Miller and Joe Miller was obviously talking about that Celtic team from you know the late 80s and he was saying that they were a high-pressing team and that they, he actually thought there were similarities between that team and uh, and the current team, which I thought was an interesting perspective. I mean, very difficult for me to say because... Because of the, um, because I lived in England at that time, and you know, just you just couldn't get access to games, so I, I honestly didn't see a lot of the football around that time, unfortunately. So I can't really comment on that. I mean, when I when I see football from the seventies and eighties, the thing that strikes you is just how stretched the game is, and how one set of defenders is on one eighteen-yard line, one set of defenders on another eighteen-yard line, and they just kind of launching the ball at each other is is generally the way it seems to go. But anyway, so. Um, it's interesting what you say there, but of course, what I would say is that you know, football never stands still in that regard. So, what is what is current now? Um, you know, we never thought we'd go back to three five two, but here we are. Many many teams play three five two. I thought you know by by sort of the early nineties that pretty much died. So, you know, I do I do firmly believe football is a tactics is really a game of sort of you know rock paper scissors in that regard, and, and it's a very much a sort of trends thing. Um, and really, it's it's about trying to counteract uh, the space that other teams get, and, and you're creating more space for you. And it's like, oh, no one, no one, no one. I mean, I mean, it was fascinating watching Real Madrid last night, and there were moments in that game when, when um, uh, against Liverpool, sorry, there were moments in the game when Liverpool were literally playing two, three, five. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, it's, which was the only orthodox formation in like the 1920s. You know, it was just, so there's nothing new in that regard, but things have to you have to adapt to because of certain if teams set set, set up in a certain way, you know how do you how do you counteract that? And what the thing that's impressed me most about Ange in that regard has been, you know, for 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 as long as we've been doing this pod, um, and I mean even before we know that where Celtic have struggled most in Scottish football is breaking down a 5-4-1 or variant thereof low block, right? That's, that's been it. Rogers' team struggled with it. Lennon's team struggled with it, um, etc. So it was, these dominant Celtic teams have been often struggling to break those things down. And under Ange, we've pretty much broken <laughs> broken that system 
you know, uh, there's nobody in the league now that can set up 5-3-2, 5-4-1. They can put two up against our two centre-backs. It doesn't matter. Because, and the reason that, that he's found a way to break that down is, is and I only really, I only really had a bit of a eureka moment on this today. I was looking at packing data, surprise, surprise, but I was looking at it from the other perspective. I was thinking about Bernabe and thinking about, you know, the fact that one of his weaknesses is he just gets bypassed a lot, and he, more than anyone else in the squad. And, and I looked at the whole squad. And then, but what surprised me was that players are being packed. And what I mean by that is the opposition are bypassing our players by passing through our lines to a far higher degree this season than last. And you sort of think about that. And you sort of think, well, that suggests that we're less well-organised, you know, we're, we're, we're being played through much, much more easily. But what it actually is, is that it's a calculated trade-off between um, accepting that at times you're going to be played through quite easily versus the benefits of flooding the box with midfielders and fullbacks to counteract the low block. And, you're, and, what, he's, and what he's looked at and done, what he's realised, is that he's gambled that when, when you've got a centre-back that is as good one-on-one as Carter Vickers is, and, 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 you, and a, def- a partner with a very aggressive front foot defender like Starfelt is you can you can you can bake in you can bake into your business model if you like that you're going to lose x number of a low number of goals per season playing that way on the basis that are those teams actually capable of getting the ball from their own goal their own goal line up to their forwards and then to score a goal versus the benefit you get from absolutely flooding their box with late-running midfielders, with inverted full-backs, with, with strikers coming across the six-yard box, etc. And, and the answer is, it looks like he's got that balance and that risk, risk management. That's what it is. This is risk management. This is saying, I'm willing to take a degree of risk because this, the reward is worth it. And, and the way that that's manifesting itself to me is, as I say, the fact that we look like we're less, we're easier to play against. But actually, we're not. It's just that this one metric is downtrending, and there's probably others, versus the huge benefits that, that accrue from that. And so it's that aspect that I think I'm most impressed about, because to me, he probably doesn't think about it in terms of risk management. But coming from the sort of banking risk background that I come from, that's really smart. That is really, really smart management of your resources to do that. Uh, so yeah, to answer that question, that's the that's the piece. I agree with everything James said as well, but that's the piece that no, my, my under the under under the in, in in the spirit of not blowing smoke up his ass as you said, the caveat for me is you know again, can he scale that to Europe? And the jury is very much out on that for me. Yeah, well that that's going to be the probably the ne- the next step in the evolution of this team. A account a. A comment comes in from uh, Kevin Fourteen on the YouTube, which I think it's a good point, and it's important to know when we talk about the tactics and maybe uh, expanding on the point that I was trying to make in terms of the modernness of what he does. Is and I agree with you. Football is f- completely fluid when it comes to this. Most formations are a loose basis of which we see players line out. On it's, the a yeah, it's a framework. It's a framework. Majority of the time, you know, it looks like a, a you know a four four two or whatever. And most of the time, it's just filling space. That is what football has has been and will always be about. It's filling space where appropriate. And Kevin uh, Fourteen comes in and says it's why he gives players on the pitch responsibility on how to play the system uh, they play against, on how to play a system they they play against. It's brilliant. So this is, I think, that's an important point that he's given players self responsibility, and it's also why he's recruited the way he's recruited with Joe Hart. Uh, in nets and he's kept Cal McGregor as the main man who plays almost all the time if he can Aaron Moy who has a lot of experience Kyogo who's good at spotting gaps and where teams are sort of vulnerable it's the self-responsibility of these players that is very impressive to me as well here The other thing I would say is that and again from a stats perspective one of the things that I've noticed is that our our pressing and counter-pressing intensity has been dialed back a little bit. Again, just a little bit. Like, so you can just see it on the margin that we're not as uh, front-footed in that regard. Uh, and and to, to Alan's point, I think, again, 
it makes sense. I mean, I'm speculating here, but it would make sense that if you're going to shift to the way that Alan characterized that we're playing and kind of this risk reward, that on the margin, you don't want to be quite as headless chicken about doing that because, again, that compounds that vulnerability in transition, right? So we're, we're attack, 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 not quite as aggressive in pressing and counterpressing because we want to have that structure behind it because we're already going on that front foot. We're already putting everything guns blazing ahead. So you got to have who is left <laughs> to defend and transition where they're supposed to be, right? So you don't want people, there's too, you know not quite as much movement. And because um, again, on the margin, when you're doing counter pressing and pressing, it's that coordination that is so key. Uh, so I, I, I sense that that's been dialed back a little bit. Maybe that's just organic as the way it's unfolding uh, rather than, you know, intentional. I don't know, but it again within the pieces as Alan described it, which I thought was really excellent. Uh, by the way, Alan, is there? I know there's causation and correlation issues analytically, but you know the banking system's falling apart again, and you're not there anymore. <laughs> and you just left not that long ago. So I don't know. I just want to. I, I, I told them. I told them how to look after the data, but they didn't listen. <laughs> so I just. I just wanted to. Throw it was too expensive. <laughs> did you? Did you happen to sell twenty million in shares before you left? Because <laughs> I, I hear that's a really good idea if you're leaving yeah. a bank. Oh, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't want to talk about my pension or anything like that. <laughs> too, too, too depressing. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I, I, I that that's another part. Of this. So that's an example of where again I'm I'm inferring into this, but um, that would be a little tweak that again from a you know you're playing chess and you're moving these things up around, um, just seems to be it would be a smart tweak based off this risk reward thing. We've talked about this in recent weeks. How basically the way we're playing now is is um, daring the opposition to do this. And they're not able to do it, and we're just suffocating them to the point where they're getting almost no chances uh, going the other way, outside of the, you know, the little fluky things here and there. Um, so, again, I – yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, it, to, to me, this all seems to be planned. All, it all kind of fits, and it's easy to kind of see stuff that might not be there. So I, I um, admit that in, in, in that regard, but this would fit. Uh, as part of that broader mosaic, if it if it if it, if it is in fact happening. Mm-hmm. So before we move on to the future under Ange and how long that's going to be and what that's going to look like, uh, any final thoughts on the past one hundred games and what we've done? You know, I just think I, I mean you raised the point and um, about and, and, and it was, the comment was in I think the uh, I think the, the lad that you. Um, Quoted, sorry, I can't remember which 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 listener it was about um, the responsibility that the players are being given. I think that's a that's a key evolution. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Step that we're seeing, and it's been mentioned about, you know, Ange doesn't. It'd be very easy to put to lay the claim at his door that, oh, you're just one of these highly structured positional coaches that you're, you're choreographing every single thing that the players are doing. And I think there's a little bit of that last season, um, a little bit, because you had to get, like you say, you had to get that framework together and you had to be a little bit organized. Um, but this season, I think what we're seeing is a greater autonomy amongst the players of moving moving within. They don't understand the framework and they operate within it. But one of the things I'm seeing in the data, and it's almost every single thing I look at now, it almost doesn't matter um, which player I look at. It's more important. The data aligns by position and role more than it does by individual. And it's remarkable. So there's a remarkable... Hum- so remarkable homogeneity to some of the data based on what position the players play, which which indicates that the, the, the cohesiveness of the style and the system is incredibly strong. Now, that kind of counters to what I've just said about individuals taking responsibility. But I think with what I think what I'm trying to say is that there is an incredibly strong and um, a cohesive and an effective system and framework of operation here. And increasingly, the players are being allowed more freedom within that. And I think, you know, we touched on there, the, you know, the, 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 the mitigation to, I'm going to commit a lot of people into the box. Therefore, you know, to use the trendy term, what does your rest defence look like? So what does your defence look like when you lose the ball and you're not attacking anymore, right? You can't just have Carter Vickers and do they go, lads, you know, right? It's not as simple as that. So, you know, that, that's where you've got players like Moy and McGregor who are very experienced international players, and therefore they know where the space is and where the you know where the liabilities are in terms of covering that space. So I think we're seeing an, an evolution of it, and we're seeing new players being integrated into it. And I think it's uh, uh, it's be fascinating to see how that evolves, but especially how it's stressed. And to segue into the next part of the conversation, how it's stressed going forward in a European context. Yeah, so I guess to move forward, you have to sell a couple of players firstly to give yourself money to do so and also to clear some room for those players because at the minute there's not a lot of room at Celtic Football Club for new players to come in. Where are we looking to improve um, mainly? I mean, I'm, I'm still sort of unsure of whether we need to improve all that much at centre-back. If Starfelt is staying, Kobayashi is there and I'm presuming he was brought in to be a starter. That's that's my presumption. Um, in midfield, Iwata, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's not bringing him in just to be a backup midfielder. And I, I'm thinking O as well may not be the backup striker that we think he's going to be in terms of the Giacomacus replacement. So, I struggle to see where, obviously, if we had a budget of Real Madrid or Liverpool standards, you it can improve absolutely everywhere. But I struggle to see exactly where we're going to to go down, uh, what road we're going to go down in the summer, because I don't know who Celtic are going to sell this summer. James, I think, what what do you think in, in that? Yeah, if, if, if you think, and this is where you get into the the push and pull of being a supporter and then uh, trying to think as a ruthless um, business operator, so to speak. So do, and do, it, do it from a business perspective. Yeah. Well, do you think well, is the best players to sell and where do you think we should improve this summer? 
I'm a ruthless a-hole. So that's the direction I was going anyway, producer. Um, but yeah, so if you think about who are going to be the most attractive assets to sell, they're going to be coming into their peak value, their prime years and coming off a good season. There's one player that people are really going to be upset about selling, which would make sense, which is Kyogo. Um, Cause he's, you know, he's in that profile. He's, he's of that age. He's going to end up having posted huge numbers. Um, and, you know, so I, I think that, would make sense from a ruthless perspective. And in theory, you could probably sell him for a pretty decent amount. Um, And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that um, would view him as a, a, you know, a productive player. And, you know, you're starting to have some player. I forget uh, Matoma, Matoma, I think is his name at Brighton um, that, that came out of Japan and, you know, doing very well. So I, I, you know, th- this wave of of Japanese players is continuing, and um, you know, so I think that. So, you know, Abada we've talked about, um, maybe O'Reilly, right? So again, you, you're talking about two young players that are not lockdown starters right now, um, and I would argue the way that we're going to continue to get better is to recruit guys like them of their age profile that are so good that they are right. The fact that O'Reilly is kind of push and pull with Moy right now. And again, Moy's a good player, but ideally what you have is 20, 21 year olds that are coming in that are so good that they're beating out the older guys. <laughs> right. And, and, and they bring along um, what youth brings. Uh, so that, that to me, you know, you, you've, you've got to create the resources. It's not going to magically just appear. So you got to sell somebody and, and can keep this conveyor belt going. Starfelt would be a, you know, if they're, um, you know, if there are people that like what he's done the last couple of years uh, from a recruitment perspective, and he's still under control, I think for a couple of years, and he's young enough still for that position. If you could sell him for, you know, a significant amount more than, than what we paid for him. And again, he'll have been amortized for a couple of seasons, so the profit would be there for the the books, for the accountants at the club, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I, I think that's that conveyor belt that Ange himself has talked about. Uh, about um, Those are the kind of play. I mean, you have to sell good players to create the revenue to reinvest, to grow and to build. Um, so it, it's a natural pro- uh, a byproduct of progressing. Yeah. Pat Nevin, former Celtic player, former Scottish player, said after the first three months of Kyogo that he would be playing for a top five Premier League club within two years. And I'm not so sure he will be top five immediately. I think the snub from Japan is probably not helping Celtic's case when it comes to how much they would be wanting to put him in the, on the market for. But I think, yeah, I think Kyogo is a player that was brought in and immediately everyone could see that he was an Edouard or a Dembele where he wasn't going to be at the club for, for 10 years. He was going to be a come in, be amazing while he's here, and then Celtic will sell him for profit. And I th- I do agree. I don't know if it'll be this year, but um, same with Hitate. I think he will be sold eventually to a team that are smart, but maybe next year as opposed to this season. Um, Alan, Celtic were accused by... People have standing still uh, during the previous summer. Um, I think it's obvious that they didn't stand too still when you look at the, the squad depth that they currently have. So will it be a summer again this year, do you think, where Celtic will be accused of standing still, where in actual fact they're making small but significant progress? Yeah, so uh, I think I see it slightly differently, to be honest, um, because I don't think we're at the maturity of the trading model yet that, that that would be the way that James described it, I would see as being a greater level of maturity. And by that, I mean, we were, we're almost proactively selling players that would be considered starters. We're almost, we're almost getting ahead of the decline, decline curve, optimizing at peak market value because we've already got the replacements lined up. I don't think we're there yet. And the reason I don't think we're there yet is because I think we've got too many players that we need to get rid of to make ruin the squad for others. I, I reckon we could easily 
sell 13 players, right? Which is an incredible number. And I, and I don't think I see how we will sell 13 players, um, you know, that are taking up first-team berths and first-team wages uh, before we start, you know, I think, I, 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 you know, that's just too many. I think, I think there's a there's a big... There's a, there's a big piece of surgery needed there on the squad before I think we can get to that flexibility of, of that model that James is talking about. Um, you know, because you look at the eight players that are out on loan, you've got Barkas, I hate to say it, but Liam Scales, Soro, Uragide, Ayeti, Mikey Johnson, Shaw, Idiguchi. None of those players are going to play in Anders' team, right? And then if you look at the players that we've got here in the building, um, you know, you've got Hazard and Bain, goalkeepers. You know, you, Kobayashi is keeping Welsh out. Iwata's now being preferred to Turnbull. Uh, and then we've got James McCarthy. None of those players that I've just listed there re- realistically are going to, you know, make much of a contribution. So that's a lot of players on, on big wages that you need to clear out and find a way to get rid of before we start, um, you know, this more proactive model that I'm talking about. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is just the players that you mentioned. I mean, you mentioned Kyogo. I mean, I, I, maybe this isn't, isn't such an analytical perspective, but I believe there's a couple of players, specifically Kyogo and Kamran Karta-Vickers, who are pretty much wedded to Angie's fate. And they will pretty much be here as long as he's here, in my view. I, I believe that they have such a close bond personally and professionally. That those players will 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 effectively wed almost wed their future to the manager, and and bear in mind as well that you know Kyogo is twenty eight, right? I don't, I honestly don't think he's going to get a big move to a big club at this stage in his career. That's just my personal view because of the age profile uh, of him, um, and you know with his explosiveness and pace reliance, you know he's he's he's, he's soon, <laughs> very soon in the next couple of years, really potentially going to start declining a little bit, much as. Hate to say it, and everyone hates that debate, but that's just um, you know, it's just biology, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we've got Kyogo for the long run, actually. Um, and, and as I said, I think Kartavikas will be around as long as as long as Angie's in that regard. But so that's that's my take. I'm not I'm, you know not saying that's right, but you know I do think we've got a bit to go before we get to the maturity that I know James is hankering after. We all want, but I think we're always a ways off it yet. Yeah. Um, just a clarification from my, from my point, as Paul Andrew Martin uh, points out in the comments, that Pat Nevin didn't play for Celtic. He did play for Celtic as a youth, but he never made it into the, the first team. Um, but he is a Celtic fan, as far as I know, um, is Pat, even though I think he was in charge of Motherwell like as a director at one point in time. But um, <clears throat> yeah, he knows he, he knows the Scottish game and, and said out is what I was mainly getting at uh, when I mentioned uh, Pat Nevin. And on the Yukio point, I mean, I take him forever. I pack him up in my suitcase and take him on holidays everywhere I went <laughs> if I got the opportunity. I mean, I, I love Kyogo. He's probably my favorite signing the Celtic have made in the last decade. Um, so if you're right in that aspect, I'm I'm absolutely delighted that you're right. And if you're wrong, I think he will bring in a big enough fee that Celtic can reinvest as smartly. Uh, so either way, it's a it's a win win in my opinion. Um, I, I guess Jota is someone else that you're probably mentioning in that esteem. But given the fee that Celtic paid out for him, I'd be surprised if they sold him the following year so quickly. So uh, I'm not so sure Jota will be out the door this summer. Um, I think that's probably as much as we can touch on without going another hour and a half on this podcast with uh, on 100 Games of Ange. So I, before let's, we let's get to a manager that's not Ange. Okay, who, who do you want to talk about? <laughs> Craig Levine? <laughs> is he a manager? No. Has, he, has he ever been a manager? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the Robbie Nielsen experience. What, what a oh, wonderful couple man. of games. Always always wonderful to face a, a Nielsen-managed team. So, so okay, the opposite so, of Ange. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's talk about the, the, two, the two Hearts games, I guess. The, the Cup game and then the, the League game. So which one do you just want to start with, or do you just want to just go with the most recent? Yeah, I, let's just do the most recent because again, the the league game was kind of, you know, standard fare, shall we say? Because uh, mm-hmm. it was a week ago, it, it, there was a lot of similarity between the two, other than they had a little bit more. Um, you know, they had rested a couple of guys like we did, but uh, they don't have the depth that we do to <laughs> to do that as effectively. So. Um, the team on the weekend was probably their best punch. Although Sh- I, I don't, I assume Shanklin's hurt. 
but um but yeah it it, it was um you know again it, it back to this idea of uh, that we've talked about repeatedly in recent weeks is when when a when a team that's not rangers quote unquote has a go against us and the, particularly with the midfield that they have which is you know not exactly lighting the world on fire from a athleticism perspective um we're just going to tear them apart and and um i mean it was it was one of those games where you know, it could have been five, six, seven on, you know, a different day. I mean, it was just, there was so much space, so much room for us to operate. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 and, and to me, I, I love it because it's fun to watch. I mean, it's, you know, it gets a little laborious with the five, three, two that we've been going through <laughs> with everyone lining up and, and um, playing a, a similar way from, from a, from an analytical perspective, uh, but obviously, you know, back and forth a little bit and look more, more chance creation, I think is, is always more enjoyable, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, I, I think they, they tried to, you know, do a, a different version of similar blueprints that other people have been doing, but in a Nielsen way. And I thought it was horrible. Uh, and, and we uh, took full advantage of it delightfully. Your thoughts on it all? Yeah, I just saw there's a comment there, AKH2001, saying Aaron Moy was running away from their midfield. And that was absolutely, <laughs> that was absolutely true. I mean, I'm, you know, you can, you can see my Twitter feed to know that I'm not being smart after the event. But honestly, when I saw their lineup, I saw that midfield flanked by Michael Smith and Kingsley. I just thought we were just going to run all over them because there's just no pace there. At all, no athleticism. I mean, Aaron Moy was running that midfield. They couldn't. They couldn't catch Aaron Moy. Never mind Hitati uh, and uh, you know, you know, uh, McGregor. Um, actually, what we will say is in the two games, one of the trends across the two games was the extent to which Hearts were able to pretty much shackle Callum McGregor. Now, I don't know whether he was shackled or whether he just didn't need to do much. It might have been. It might have been the, the latter case. He just literally didn't have to get on the ball a hundred times like he normally does. But they did a pretty good job of kind of avoiding him getting on the ball. But the other midfielders had so much space space, and were able to get at them at pace. I mean, you know, and again, as James says, game context, you score a goal in the first minute, you know, you're then, you're then in control of the match. You score another one just before half time, And yeah, of course, they're going to come out in the second half and, give it absolutely everything in a cup tie, but to, to, to very little effect in reality. And, as and, and you know, although there were a few little skirmishes and balls kind of knocking about the box, mainly from set pieces, once it got to, again, to the sort of substitution uh, part of the game, you know, it could have been anything by the end. Um, mm-hmm. not, not that there was many of them left to see it. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, it was a good, it was, it was a very com- as comfortable as it could have been, really, given the, the draw that we had, uh, which obviously looked tricky. I mean, what I will say is, you know, yes, the, they had four forwards out injured. So, you know, but having said that, you know, if, if, if you then say, okay, well, our approach is going to be just launch long balls at Josh Janelli to chase. It's not really very sophisticated, is it? I don't think you deserve much out of the game, frankly. <clears throat> well, and, and that was the funny part. That's why I said it, it was the Nielsen twist on the 5-3-2 that everyone's been doing, which mm. is they were trying to play like a possession build out from the back mm. with that midfield and two little guys up top. Mm. It was like, I mean, it, it, it was laughable. It was it was actually laughable. Um, and, and so, again, I, I thought we played okay, but... <laughs> I, as well as we, we needed to. Yeah. Well, right. I think if, if we would have been, if we would have had one of those days where we were on fire and really lighting it up, I again, it could have been like seven, eight, that kind of, you know, that kind of day, because um, it was just so ridiculous from Hearts. So looking forward, then Hibs this weekend. We're not too far away from uh, the split. I mean, I don't think Celtic are in danger of falling into the second part of the table. Uh, that's not what I'm getting at. But um, keeping this show on the road, Alan, I mean, consistency hasn't been an issue. I'm presuming that you're not worried about that creeping in. Well, no, I mean, listen, football is football, right? So at any moment you can, 
you just have a dreadful performance, drop points, have things go against you. That's the nature of it. But as as James said earlier, the consistency of performance, forget the results, is the consistency of performance has been remarkable and continues to be remarkable, such that you're in a state where you sort of you look at the fixtures, you think, yeah, home to Hibs, away Ross County, home to the Rangers, you know, away to Kilmarnock, home to Motherwell. You start thinking, well, really, if we continue in the vein of performance, where where are you going to drop points realistically? Um, very difficult to see, but you know, that's such a other fans of any other clubs looking in will just think that's such a sort of arrogant take. But it's just the, as I say, the remarkable consistency of the performances now, where whereby you know, and it's it's that it's it's translating into output on the field. I mean, every game, pretty much, you're looking at you know, sort of two and a half xg, two two xg difference in every game, and that's probably going to going to take. I did I did this piece looking at Champions League where. Um, so this is a little bit half-baked, so, you know, James can, can turn up his nose at the lack of rigour on this, but I looked at Champions League games and, and, and you know, once you get to sort of two and a half XG, roughly, yeah, the good teams in Europe, it's pretty much anything's possible. You could be four, it could be five, six, seven, eight, right? It's not, it's not a case that we got five XG, we scored five, or to score seven goals, you need seven XG or thereabouts. It's once you get over about two and a half, you've pretty much battered the opposition and anything's possible. And Celtic are hitting that time and time and time again. Sometimes we score three, sometimes four, sometimes six, sometimes two, right? But that is that level of attacking intensity and consistency. That I think there's something there that says once you get above a certain threshold, your correlation to actual goals scored starts to deviate because it's almost too much for the opposition. You're putting the opposition under too much pressure. The defensive systems crack, and you can score anything. Now, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm hypothesising here. I don't know if there's any foundation in that. I just did a very small analysis of some Champions League games where teams, you know, where teams have got more than more than two xG. Because I wanted to see for Celtic, because we were consistently conceding two plus xG. I wanted to see there's almost like a danger level above which. You pretty much could, could get absolutely killed if you go over that over that number sort of thing, and, and it seemed to be the case. So, mm-hmm. coming back to the league form, if we continue to, with those performances, we continue to hit those kind of numbers, then you're really it's not it's not so, so much a question of will Celtic lose; it's a question of will they score four or five or six, or will it just be two nil type of thing? Uh, and again, I know that sounds really overconfident, but I'm just trying to relate the data as I see it, really, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the consistency of performance is the final point I'll make on the 100 games of Ange. I know a lot of comments on YouTube and a lot of discussion point that we talk about is making progress in Europe and how do we do that? And it hasn't progressed in Europe under Ange and and it, it, it hasn't. But if you look at the consistency of performance in Europe, the Celtic have had in the Champions League, because I'm not counting the first season because Celtic were still a mess in the first season. He still, you know, look at the, just look, if you want context of Celtic's first European campaign under Ange Postacoglu, look at the team they put out for the second game against Betis and they actually won the fucking game. Uh, so, uh, but that's, that's where we're at. I, I think give it next season in the Champions League. If the performances are as consistent, I think Celtic will get a bit of luck along the way. Um, and there will, you will see progress this season. Um in the Champions League under Ange or next season, whatever you want to say. Um, and I mean, look at Real Madrid, they just knock Liverpool out by six goals altogether aggregate um, between them. So, I, you know, there's context to Celtic's results in Europe this season as well. They came up against some very, very good sides. RB Leipzig drew with Manchester City. I know they got absolutely battered in the second round, but still context to where Celtic were at in comparison to them teams. I, I think that's where we'll park this week's podcast, unless there's any final points you just want to make. No, it's just a, a matter of arithmetic, meaning that um, as long as we don't drop points to anyone else, uh, <laughs> it's nice and comfortable. But if we if we get one of these fluky games, and if you just look at the fixtures coming up, you know, maybe going to Ross County, that can be a, you know, a, a, an interesting experience. Although you wouldn't think it should be um and then going to Kilmarnock 
just because of how ridiculous that can be. Although again, it shouldn't be. Um, but outside of that, I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see a lot of, you know, fixtures are like, Oh boy, like you have anxiety going into it. So it's more of the fluky stuff because of that consistency that we've had. Um, and even if we drop points, it's not like, you know, it's the end of the world. I'm talking arithmetically. So there's, mm-hmm. there's absolutely, there's not even a chance of a squeaky bum time <laughs> uh, until we, until we theoretically would drop something to someone other than Rangers. So, yeah. Okay. That's where we will park this week's podcast. I should say that um, another host of another Celtic podcast has actually written a book about Ange and his impact. Uh, Hamish from, um, from 67 Hill Hill wrote a book and it's released now. I think it's available on audio book. So I think um, most Celtic fans will want to read that. You can get that on, on audio book or not audio book, sorry, on um, what's Kindle. Kindle uh, online ebook, or you can get the hard book as well in Scotland. So I think most people will want to read that. I'll leave the link. I'm not getting paid by Hamish to do this. I just think most people will want to read it. So uh, if you want to get that, you can get it. I'll leave the link in the description below after this podcast, and it'll be available on the iTunes link as well. We will be back with the huddle breakdown next week as usual. But until then, we'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it. It's all about control, and if you can take it. It's all about your death, and if you can play it. It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may lose So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, sucker, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 